This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, this is Steve Jarko. Uh, I co-authored with Paul Zane Pilzer, The New Roaring Twenties, Profit in Volatile Time. It deals with technology and what's going to happen over the next 10 years to all of us. And you're listening to the Dr. Sky Experience on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dr. Sky Experience, heard exclusively here on Talk Radio 77, WABC, as we like to call this particular radio station, the crown jewel of radio, the iconic 77 Talk Radio, here in New York City, broadcasting around the nation, around the world, and I'm sure, all the way out into the cosmos. The Dr. Sky Experience, as we all know, pretty much concerns itself with great guests from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather and celebrity guests in the mix. But today, a very special guest on this particular program today, as we'll be welcoming Stephen Jarko. He's the co-author of a very interesting book, ladies and gentlemen, that you can get wherever books are sold, like Amazon. And this book, of course, we find out fascinating, published by Matt Holt Books. This book itself, co-authored with Paul Zane Pilzer. Our special guest today is Stephen Jarko. A background on Stephen. Stephen received his BBA, MS, and GD from the University of Wisconsin. He's been involved in the production and or distribution of over 250 motion pictures and television series. Jarko's films have won two Academy Awards. He's been nominated for five Emmy Awards, winning in 2021 for Girls' Voices Now. Jarko has been a principal in more than 100 real estate ventures, and he is the author of five books on real estate finance. And to give us just a little outline of the book we're talking about today, The Roaring Twenties, Prosper in Volatile Times, we say this, the world is in its economic foundations are shifting beneath our feet. We are at the threshold of the new Roaring Twenties, a resurgent era of technology-driven advancement with greater financial equity and economic expansion. With that, let's welcome our special guest, Stephen Jarko. Stephen, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us about a very interesting book. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, and uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. It's a privilege and honor, sir. I find out this is a fascinating book for many reasons. But if we go back into the 1920s, when obviously people were prospering, as they called it, the Roaring Twenties, your take on this with your co-author, Paul Zane Pilzer, brings us to some very interesting conversations. As we talk about the book, it's in some 17 chapters but let's condense it so that the audience understands this a little better. You talk about in this book the importance of the 12 pillars. Some of these pillars are six, six economic pillars, and then we talk a little bit more as we go deeper into six social pillars. Tell us the impetus for this book and 
what can most people get out of this as they're optimistic and probably entrepreneurs and hopeful entrepreneurs listening to this particular show? Well, this book began uh, with Paul Zane Pilzer wanting to uh, explain to his uh, four children what might happen during the next 10 years. But unfortunately, Paul uh, became quite ill, and he and his wife called me and asked me if I would finish the book for him, which I did. Uh, Paul and I have known each other for 40 years. We've done business together, real estate in the U.S., and and a variety of ventures in uh, Russia in the 1990s. We've stayed good friends and uh, throughout this. Paul is uh, quite brilliant. He's written 13 books uh, on all yes. sorts of economic subjects, and I was pleased to, to finish it off for him and help out. Well, it's a very good, noble thing to do, and we pray for his uh, health, and we talk with you today about uh, this comp- compilation, a very serious book here. But let's talk in the short time that we do have here. We talk about six of some types times two, these economic, of course, pillars and these social pillars. Just give us an outline if we cover some of these. We don't, we don't want, of course, people to get the book. We do want them to get the book. But just in case they're you know, short on time and they want to explore this as a whole new realm for the Roaring Twenties, talk a little bit more, in your opinion, about the two things that are impressive to me and I think to the audience. Talk a little bit about technology and energy, some of the things I found in your book to be quite fascinating. Well, you've identified the uh, primary areas uh, under economic pillars. Uh, We devote a chapter to uh, how technology has accelerated, particularly with artificial intelligence, uh, and how that's going to be pervasive in all of our lives, improving our lives in many ways, but also creating some dangers. Uh, We talk quite a bit about the role of robots, which are basically uh, very advanced computers using uh, a simulation of human intelligence to perform various tasks, and in some cases, replacing the work done by humans. With respect to energy, uh, that's tied into technology because we are fairly optimistic that a lot of the energy concerns we have through the use of technology and artificial intelligence, those problems are going to be lessened quite a bit. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, all of this technology is going to cause structural unemployment, which is going to drive a lot of people into the gig economy where they work for themselves or for a brand. And during this uh, period of transition, which poses the possibility of economic and political upheaval, Uh, We discussed the concept of universal basic income, which is the notion that each American citizen would be provided with a couple thousand dollars per month, uh, providing a safety net for the great many people in our country who live from paycheck to paycheck, and facilitating this transition from a uh, more industrial economy to an artificial intelligence economy, which is going to kind of change everything. Uh, And then on the social side, we touch on millennials, and uh, given our 
age and experience. We're surprisingly optimistic about millennials and Gen Z, but we do recognize that uh, young people today are bombarded with social media, which has been largely corrosive. It's a, yes. a crude form of AI, uh, and um, it has really impacted the uh, mental health uh, of young people and impacted their uh, addictions. And, uh, and I, we're confident it's going to be worked through but it's going to be a very harrowing experience for a lot of our young people. Um, we also talk about uh, the sharing revolution, where uh, all sorts of activities, uh, vacation space, automobiles and the like are shared, um, and the concept of consumer surplus, which a lot of companies are trying to provide, and also gross national happiness, which Right. Because you can uh, be economically successful uh, but not be happy. Uh, in fact, a lot of wealthy people tend not to be happy. And uh, it's important to find uh, what's uh, relevant to your life in that regard. And what we have discovered is that if you, particularly as you progress in life and have created uh, a career for yourself and a life for yourself, if you can be of service to others and reach out to them uh, in a humane way, uh, you're going to be the winner. And you should expect nothing in return other than the fact you're doing the right thing. Uh, it is mm -hmm. critical, Correct. we believe, particularly in a time where we're going to be dealing more and more with the machines to distinguish ourselves from the machines by being human. And then lastly, uh, in the book, we, we spend quite a bit of time on China and Russia, China posing an opportunity and also a threat, and Russia being, uh, frankly, just a threat at this point. And we, we talk about the geopolitical issues involving those two uh, countries. So that's kind of the, the rundown. No, it's quite interesting. And just to remind our listeners, you're listening to me, Dr. Sky, here on the Dr. Sky Experience, where on Talk Radio 77 WABC, the iconic talk radio station of the nation, the crown jewel of radio, as we like to call it. And our very special guest in this important segment is a brand new book that's co-authored with Stephen Charco and Paul Zane Pilzer. It's entitled The New Roaring Twenties, Prosper in Volatile Times valuable information to keep us optimistic. And I think, Stephen, this is something quite interesting from my side of the equation. I do read these books. And I just don't do the notes because obviously it's so important when these subjects are important to people out there. It's a Matt Holt Books publisher. And you can, of course, get this book wherever good books are sold. That includes Amazon and many, many other sources out there. But what I wanted to just touch on, I'm sure you've had this question or commentary from people to respond from your side. The concept of AI, it kind of disturbs me as a scientist that I look at some of the things that it can do, albeit I believe that it can be helpful in certain aspects of our lives today, but also the nefarious side that I'm not inventing this, uh, you know, I'm not trying to take a side, I'm just having some concern. Where do you think we have to draw the limit on this? And I know maybe that's not your area of specific expertise, but I'd like to get your opinion. Valuable, yes. But where do we have this level of where do we kind of can turn it off 
and maybe some kind of guarantees if it does get out of hand. Well, you're quite right to be concerned. Um, there are many valuable things that AI will do, including helping us with climate change, helping doctors diagnose, perform surgery. Uh, it'll help us with fire and police, logistics, pharma, uh, cloud computing will be expanded dramatically, and also with simulations uh, and uh, various uh, complicated logistical matters that we don't deal with very well right now. So a lot's going to be better. However, uh, it also has the capability to destroy. Uh, social media is already you know, a crude form of AI, uh, and we already have AI in our cell phones, uh, autos, sure. search engines, you know, really all the items of daily life. But now we have what is called generative uh, AI using large language models, which are actually able to uh, simulate uh, literally billions of pieces of data, collate it, and organize it in such a way that content can be created in the form of text, code, images, and video. All of the major uh, technological information companies, which are the most valuable companies in the world today, uh, see AI as being uh, a critical part of their growth. And there's an arms race going on uh, with respect to AI. However, um, AI is going to increase uh, economic and political upheaval. Uh, it's going to increase the level of fraud and hacking on uh, all sorts of social media and other venues. Um, it's going to pose the distinct possibility of weaponized autonomous web, uh, artificial intelligence, which yes. will, in, in fact, give the ability at some point of a machine to make a kill decision uh, or a targeting decision. Our Department of Defense has said that, uh, you know, only humans will make these kinds of decisions. But, um, you know, we're going to have to compete as a country militarily with many other countries who don't have the same hesitation that we might have and therefore, yes. autonomous weapon systems are part of our future. That's going to mean that at some point, AI is going to have the capability of destroying uh, people or things. And there is a more than zero chance that AI will be the end of us. Uh, wow. That either by, by mistake uh, or by intention, Artificial intelligence uh, will be, you know, the end of human history. Um, it's not the most likely outcome, but it's a possibility, much like the atomic bomb. There was a more than zero chance that when the initial uh, Trinity atomic bomb was exploded, that it was going to sure. light the, uh, the whole world on fire, uh, but it didn't. And since, exactly. that time, 
since that time, we've had uh, you know a Cold War and mutually assured destruction. And with AI, we have a bit of that now in that, uh, you know, many countries, uh, Russia and China in particular, but others as well, have the ability to disrupt our infrastructure and have the ability to uh, construct um, massive AI networks that can affect our country. However, the United States is still ahead of all of them with respect to uh, advanced semiconductor chips uh, and transistors. And, you know, the ability to generate chips is really in our uh, interest and also something that we have an involvement throughout the supply chain. And these other countries recognize that we have the ability to disrupt their infrastructure in a more dramatic way than they can ours. But there, there is sort of a silicon blockade going on right now, which doesn't get much notice. Uh, a bureau in the Department of Commerce, the Bureau of mm-hmm. Industry yes. and Security, in October of this last year, uh, issued export controls on all chips that have any American component whether it be use of technology. I'm sorry? I said very interesting indeed. Right. And it is an attempt, and it may well be successful, to not only prevent China from having, and this applies in a different format to Russia as well, uh, Mm -hmm. but to prevent China not only from developing AI-infused weapon systems, but also interrupting China's progression towards technological development in the AI space. Uh, right now, uh, the U.S., Taiwan, Japan, and the Netherlands are the countries that really control the manufacture and um, compilation of chips. And without those countries coordinating, and right now the U.S. has entered into agreements with those other three countries to uh, create this blockade. And it's going to be very interesting how this plays out. And in effect, it's a new Cold War. And uh, right now, we may have an opportunity to create a detente with China because of the leverage we have from this uh, not really uh, well-publicized uh, ex- export control. Well, I'm hoping that you're right and uh, your co-author is right on this, but obviously if we look at the mainstream media and we talk about this so-called confrontation between China and America, I hope that's something that doesn't happen at all. But just a few more minutes with you, Stephen, and I appreciate your time today. What I get out of this book in one of the chapters on technology, and see if I'm correct, at least my assumption, is that as people would be laid off because of the high incidence of technology, I think it's important the responsibility lies on both sides, not only the corporations to retrain people, but a positive attitude on individuals who feel that they shouldn't think that their jobs are just disappearing, and that they go off into a depression. But they obviously have to also hold themselves up to want to be retrained. And with those two positives, 
I think we can move forward. Would you kind of agree with my summation on as I view that chapter on technology and what might happen to people who might uh, be laid off because of technology? I do agree. And uh, it's worthy to consider uh, a universal basic income, which will transition mm -hmm. people, reduce their stress, and give them an opportunity to move forward in their lives. Because the number of people employed in this country could well reduce from approximately 50%, where it is today, to around 30%. And the uh, political and social implications of this are a little concerning, and we need to uh, help our fellow citizens make it through this, the new Roaring Twenties in the next 10 years. And we can do that by helping economically, but also being more patient, more kind, and more human towards other humans. That will go a long way during this next 10 years. Well, I think you're right, and the golden rule should play a big part in that. But one of my last comments here for you to comment on is something I find most impressive in your book. We're not just talking the economic side of the world with GDP. You talk, and your co-author talk about a gross national happiness. And I learned something by opening up to page 193 on the book with the great illustration. And I'm amazed at this. It shows that Finland, number one, Denmark, number two, Iceland and Switzerland, one, two, three, four, as far as happiness. But America is number 16. Can you give us from your side of the equation why those countries are much more happy in their analysis of maybe how they view life? Finland, Denmark, Iceland and Switzerland. What's, what say you? Well, uh, scientifically, for a number of decades now, uh, one of the factors that has contributed significantly to happiness has been a strong, consistent, understandable social welfare and medical system. And the Scandinavian countries tend to have this, and I want to emphasize the, the understandability of, right, of it right now. I mean, yes. We have a net network of systems, but our social welfare systems are largely broken and ineffective. And our medical, uh, all you have to do is get uh, very ill to realize how challenging it is dealing with the insurance, uh, the doctors, the care. Um, it's, it's a scary prospect. And I think one of the reasons, again, these countries do well is because of their uh, social network and uh, the ability to protect people to a certain extent. Um, in addition, uh, you know, crime plays a factor. And, uh, sure. you know, the, the crime in this country and the amount of school shootings and things like that have been uh, rising. Um, in addition, climate change appears to play a role. And the countries that are further north often you know, benefit from uh, climate change to a certain extent with a mellowing of their climate, while you know we're beginning to see this summer how uh, painful it can be with high well, yes, levels even. of heat. Right. I'm living here, as I describe it on my programs, even though we're coming out of WABC in New York. I'm based out of Phoenix. 
and I describe this as the epicenter of hell. As you probably know, we've had well over 30 days, more than a calendar month, of daily temperatures over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Totally unbelievable. We hadn't had that streak since 1974, so there must be something going on there. But Stephen, we only have a few more minutes here, and I just wanted to jump back more into your personal uh, life as a man who's a businessman involved heavily in real estate and all the other ventures. Just describe to the audience your passion and your involvement in the production and distribution of over 250 motion pictures and television. I find that fascinating. Well, when I uh, was in school, I had always been interested in the movie business, and you know, I would mm-hmm. go to the movies, and it would occur to me, because I was a business major, I wonder who paid for this. It looks very right. expensive. So I started studying it, and uh, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I joined up with a partner, uh, and uh, we started producing movies, and I found that my background in life and business and finance helped me uh, so that for me, it was best that I not start until a little bit later because the movie business is the most difficult business I've ever encountered. But oh. it has given me an opportunity to tell some stories and to meet interesting people and uh, really learn a whole other business. Well, I'm so pleased to have you here on our Dr. Sky Experience at a WABC in New York, as we describe it, Stephen. You've heard it many times, and many people believe it, a well over 100-year-plus icon of radio around the nation, around the world. It's a privilege and honor to have you. If you'll just be kind enough to stay on the line here as we go to the heartbreak at the bottom of the hour. A great book, ladies and gentlemen, co-authored, of course, with Stephen Jerko, our special guest, and Paul Zane Pilzer. All the best at her health. For Paul, as we did talk to him today, but we are safe thinking about him in spirit. I do appreciate your time today. And ladies and gentlemen, the Dr. Sky Experience talks about the great realms from my side, from the astrophysics and astronomy world of space, astronomy, aviation, and weather. But don't let that fool you. We talk about the great stories of American exceptionalism, celebrity guests, and today, a very interesting guest, Stephen Jarko. Co-author, as we talked about before, The New Roaring Twenties, Prosper in Volatile Times. This book is available wherever good books are sold. And, of course, from Matt Holt, Books and Publishers. Thank you, Stephen, for your time today. We always remind people to always remember to what? Keep their feet on the ground and always remember to keep their eyes to the skies. Thank you, sir, for joining us today on Dr. Sky Experience. You're very welcome. Thank you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.